all of us who remain right here, invite us to open up the Bible to uh, the words of our King, the words of Jesus himself. As we turn to hear from this, this one, it's Jesus who reigns, the King of uh, God's eternal kingdom, the one who is wor- worthy of our worship and our praise. We're in Matthew's gospel today, turning our attention to Matthew chapter 5, and this morning we'll be looking at the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, under a new series, a new direction, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And for these first few weeks, as we look at the beginning of this message, these words of our Savior, I want us to consider uh, this series under the, the, the title, The Secret uh, to Happiness. The Secret to Happiness. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And so as you find your place uh, in the Bible, let me invite uh, all who are able, would you join me standing for the reading of of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible reads this way. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you for your words. Pray that you would speak to us now through them. Lord, guide us in, in knowing you. Father, that we might know what it is to serve the King. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, these are the words of Christ. Like every time we open the Bible, we're, we're turning our attention to the, the very words of, of God. And so we, we don't regard any portion of the Bible as more biblical, right? More scriptural than, than any other portion of the Bible. It's all God breathed. It's a central confession of the Christian faith. But there's something special, isn't there? About reading the particular words of Jesus, about turning our attention to the message of Christ given to followers of Christ during the height uh, of Jesus' earthly ministry. So here's Jesus. Here's the setting. Here's Jesus surrounded by crowds who've been following him. We're told that right here. There were crowds surrounded by crowds who've been following him, not yet sure what to make of him. They're amazed by him. They're amazed particularly particularly by his his miracles and by his his teaching. But in the crowds is another group, a closer group, a smaller group, his disciples At this point, these are the 12 who have answered the call to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to join in his messianic mission. Matthew was there. Matthew, the one that's recording this account for us. Matthew was one of the 12. He he was there. And Matthew seems to indicate to us that Jesus in this moment withdrew a bit from the crowds and he went up on uh, a mountainside. Galilee in the northern part of Palestine is a, a mountainous region surrounding the Sea of, of Galilee. And so 
He withdraws from the crowd. He goes up on a mountainside and Matthew says that the disciples followed him and Jesus sat down the position of teaching in that day and began instructing them. He began teaching them his famous Sermon on the Mount. That's what this section of the Bible is is called. It's the longest single sermon recorded uh, of Christ and it is his own description in the words of the late John Stott. It is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and do. But it's not a list of laws to observe in order to gain entrance into Christ's kingdom. No, it's descriptive of the kind of life that marks the citizens of Christ's kingdom. The only way into the kingdom is by God's grace through faith in the king. But those who've received such grace become people of the king. The language of John, they become born again with new hearts, new affections, new attitudes that want to glorify God in all that they do. So then, these words of Jesus describe what it looks like to have a changed heart that reflects the values and the priorities of Christ's kingdom. Don't you want to be part of his kingdom? Don't you want to be part of the kingdom of Christ's eternal kingdom, like the only God, the one that we've been singing to this morning, the one who who reigns forever and ever, the one who molded the mountains and carved out the valleys, the one that made each and every one of you in his own image to reflect him, to know him, to be in relationship with him, the one who knows you by name, the one giving you breath to breathe even now, the one who says you're not defined by your your feelings or your fortunes. Don't you want to know him and be known by him? Don't, don't you want to be with him? Who then can be with him? Who, who can be part of, of his eternal kingdom? Well, the king of the kingdom says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit isn't a reference to outward uh, material poverty, but inward spiritual poverty. The one who is poor in spirit recognizes his spiritual bankruptcy before God. Jesus says the one who knows her spiritual poverty is the one who's part of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the point that I think he's making. Heaven's inhabitants know they need God's help. Heaven's inhabitants, those who will be in heaven, those who are citizens of heaven, heaven's inhabitants know they need God's help. In other words, they recognize their desperate condition before God. Their inability to please God on their own. So think about what Jesus is saying right here at the beginning of his sermon. Here's what he's saying. My people are those who know they can't do it. My people are those who who know they, they have not and cannot Fulfill the standards of, of God's law. This resembles the first step of many recovery groups, right? Admit you have a problem. We have a problem. And yet we, we naturally read through the lens of achievement. It's natural to us. We, we come to Jesus uh, with the question of the rich man. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I I want eternal life. I I want there to be more than this life. I want to be in heaven 
one day. What, what must I do to get there? But here in Jesus' first beatitude is the interpretive key to the whole message. Jesus says the foundational mark of his kingdom is this. Those who are there know they can't, they can't do it. The late Presbyterian preacher James Montgomery Boyce wrote it this way. He said, paradoxically, Jesus teaches that the Sermon on the Mount is only for those who know they cannot live by it. Jesus will soon say God's standard is perfection. That's what he's going to say at the end of chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. His standard is perfection, and so only the one who keeps the standard perfectly deserves to enter his kingdom. And, and friends, there's only been one of those. Only one man who's obeyed every jot and tittle of this text, and it's the man giving the message. Jesus Christ is his name. Jesus is... The sermon. He's the only one who's fully lived by it and never broken it, which means none of us, not a single one of us, nor anyone else, will gain entrance to heaven on the basis of obedience to God's law. Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. No one will be declared uh, morally upright, righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of, of, our, of our sin. In other words, the law reveals, God's law reveals that we're lawbreakers. That's what it reveals. Certainly, it, it shows us God's standard, and it tells us how far short we have fallen of His standard. Friends, the message of Paul is rooted in the words of Christ. For Jesus is saying the ones in His kingdom are the ones who know they didn't get there on their own. Heaven's inhabitants know they need God's help, but but with God's help, right? With God's help, mountains are moved. Debts are paid in full and hearts are transformed by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Isn't that what we just witnessed and celebrated through believer's baptism? New life in Jesus Christ. A new life in Christ given to recipients of Christ's love. Those who put their faith in him. Jesus isn't suggesting a life of do better and try harder to be accepted by God. No, he's describing a way of thinking and living and acting that flows from a life that's been rescued by God. That's what he's describing in this sermon. So a few years ago, I had an opportunity to go to uh, a place in the world where uh, access is a bit restricted for those uh, with public faith in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so part of that process, I had to apply for uh, a visa to go there. And because of my association, I think, with with a church, I had to travel to the consulate office to go in person with paperwork for an interview to see if I would be given a visa for that trip. And, and thankfully, I, I was. But upon receiving that visa, it was a very short-term visa. 
I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it was like a few months. You've got a few months, you can go, you can visit, and you can get out. But you cannot stay here on a permanent basis. Well, Jesus is saying, these are the ones given permanent visas in my kingdom. Paul would say it this way, our citizenship is in heaven. Telling the church, believers, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we need a savior and Jesus is the savior and his saving us is his giving to us a present citizenship in his eternal kingdom. A status that's granted to believers here and now yet not fully realized until Jesus comes again. And so those who receive his provision are already citizens but not yet residents. We are already citizens in Christ's eternal kingdom, but we are not yet residing there with the full benefits of it. We are already enjoying privileges of peace with God, of new life with Christ, of hearts that are being transformed by the grace of God and conform more and more into the image of Christ. But the full effect of such salvation remains reserved for a future day. Leading Jesus to go on to say things like, blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Will be. One day. Perhaps today, maybe tomorrow, most certainly in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn over what? This life is full of, of mourning, of grieving. You know this. We often come into a place like this and we put our happy face on. But this life is difficult. Life hurts. You know, sickness, depression, pain, death, disrupt even the best of families. And so is Jesus simply saying everyone who hurts will soon be pain free? What kind of mourners will be comforted? Well, I think Jesus is saying God will comfort those broken over their sin. He will comfort those broken over their sin. I I think that's the particular kind of mourning of which Christ is speaking. The poor in spirit are those broken over their sin. They are those who, who mourn their unworthiness before God himself. This is Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, right? Swept into an encounter with the living God, a vision of angels, Cherubim are worshiping God, bowing down before God, praising God in the temple in all of his power and glory, leading Isaiah, the man, to fall on his face and shout, woe to me. This is woe to me. I am ruined. For I am a, a man of unclean lips. This is a way of Announcing his guilt. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. The Lord Almighty. See, when Isaiah catches a glimpse of God's holiness, he's overcome by his own unworthiness. Friends, here we are this morning, right? Once again, we're dressed up. We got our best Clothes on, we're in a beautiful sanctuary. I don't know about you, but I, I, like I don't wake up looking like this. And here we are, gathered in a beautiful place, following an, an order of 
of worship in the company of God's people in the presence of the king. And part of right worship in the presence of the king of all kings is realizing our lowliness in light of him. You see, Isaiah was a train wreck in the presence of God. Simon Peter was a train wreck when the rooster crowed the third time. And he realized his own wicked heart before his Savior. Paul was a train wreck when Jesus knocked him off his horse, blinded him with his glory and said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever been a wreck over your sin? There's a time to be a wreck. It's a time to be broken over our sin in the presence of the Almighty. May the Spirit of the living God break our hearts over our sin against God that we might say, Woe to me. Worthy is He. So moms and dads, as you present the gospel again and again to your kids, as we talk about Jesus again and again to those that the Lord has entrusted to, let's pray for a brokenness over sin. Fellow Christians and ambassadors of Christ, as you share Christ, as you talk about Jesus with your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, let's pray for and look for a brokenness over sin. For, for blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. See, God will comfort those broken over their sin. One of the ways that Jesus invites us to see our brokenness, one of the ways that he invites us to be broken over our sin is by seeing Jesus in his word. By seeing Jesus in his own sermon. By seeing him that we might see ourselves in light of him. So we're invited as we hear these words of the Lord to see Jesus in the sermon. To see Jesus in his sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. To see Jesus in the message that you might see yourself in light of him. In other words, when we read the book, when we read the Bible, we want to read to see Jesus. We want to read to, to notice and pay attention to the central character, the, the Savior, the Sustainer, the Redeemer. We want to read to see Jesus because Jesus is the messenger and the message. Right? He, he's the law giver and he's the law keeper. He's, he's the Messiah and the mediator. He's the king of the kingdom. We've sung about that this morning. He's the king of the kingdom who reigns forever and ever and ever. And yet he's the way into the kingdom. He's the one through which we are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be Comforted. What does it mean to be blessed? The word blessed is used a number of ways. It's even used a few different ways in the Bible. But right here, it means happy. Happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Might seem crazy. What I'm about to say, sunshine, she's here. You can take a break. I'm a hot air balloon that could go to space with the air like I don't care, baby, by the way, because I'm happy, right? Drop your hands if you, you some of you know the song, right? Because I'm ha- what makes you happy? 
Right? What makes you happy? Really, what makes you... You see, Jesus is talking about a happiness that doesn't depend upon outward circumstances. That isn't fleeting. That isn't unchanging. He's saying worldly riches and toys don't equate to bliss. But the blissful life comes from knowing God. Being right with God. Driving back late yesterday afternoon from a a ball tournament down in Chilton County. And I noticed a sign that we passed by on the road. I think it was County Road 29 just south of Jemison. I'd not noticed it before, but noticed it yesterday. Right as we were passing by, it said, happiness is knowing Jesus. Happiness is knowing Jesus. There's a lot of truth in that sign. But happiness is found in knowing Jesus, knowing that you're a recipient of his mercy. That you're a beneficiary of his compassion revealed through the humble coming and the righteous living, the substitutionary dying, and the triumphant rising of Jesus himself, leading those with faith in Christ to confidently say with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Friend, do you, do you know the father of compassion and the God of all comfort? You see, those who know him, those who really know him, will experience forever with him, a future with him. That's what it means to be blessed, to be happy in Jesus. Those who trust in the Lord will enjoy a future with him. Those who trust in the Lord will enjoy a future with him. In other words, the path to forever with Jesus isn't obedience to the law. The, the path to forever with Jesus isn't obedience to the law, but it is trust in the one who obeyed the law. That's what Jesus means when he continues in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not natural to us. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not weakness, but gentleness. To be meek is to trust God with your future. It's to trust God with your future. Rather than to exert your own strength or to impose your own Agenda. It's the opposite of arrogance and self-reliance, but is humble and happy submission to God, a sure and confident faith in Christ for your future with him. A certain hope, a certain hope that's captured by brother Peter, Peter, one of the twelve who writes first and second Peter and first Peter begins with these words. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like what Paul is saying here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. He's a God of mercy. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth, new life, born again into a living hope. Real hope. Lasting hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. This is good news. I can never perish. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. An inheritance that is not dependent on 
a good and growing economy, right? An inheritance that will last forever and ever and ever, that cannot be taken away, cannot spoil our fate. It's, in, it's kept in heaven for you, he says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice. Peter says, in all of this, and, and, and who God is, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's a God of mercy, who's a God who gives us hope, who's a God who raised Jesus from the dead and gives an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away to all who have their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus. In, in all of this, you believers, church, rejoice. And so, brothers and sisters, we, we've gathered again on this day, today. We, we've gathered here today because we have reason to rejoice and praise the God of mercy who saves sinners in Jesus Christ. We have every reason as people of faith to praise the God of mercy who saves sinners in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, do, do you know the God of mercy who saves sinners in Jesus Christ? Do you, do you know him? Is your faith in him? Do you know the God of mercy who saves sinners in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in him? Is your faith in him? Are you looking to him? Are you delighting in him? Won't you hear his invitation today and put your trust in him? Find true happiness in him. And then believer, fellow Christians, who, who do you know? I, who do you know who needs to know the God of mercy who saves sinners in Christ? Who do you know who's not found happiness in Christ? Who doesn't know the God of mercy? Who do you know who might need to hear about the God of mercy since you know him, since you know him? Will you tell them? Like, will you tell them about this God-man who saves sinners? Who has come to earth to do what we couldn't. To obey God's law perfectly. Never sin. Tempted in every way, just as we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. So that, at just the right time, he can lay down his life as the perfect substitute sacrifice for sinners, such as you and I. You see, friends, we, we've now been told... The secret to happiness. We know the secret to happiness. True happiness begins by looking to Jesus. True happiness begins by looking to Jesus. Where are you looking for happiness? Today, where are you looking for happiness? You can stop searching and start looking to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we praise you this morning. Father, we praise you as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, who's rich in compassion, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the God who saves sinners by your grace, through faith in your Son, Jesus. And so, Lord, even now, as we respond to you, as we respond to Jesus, Lord, we pray that we would do so in ways fitting, in ways appropriate for those who know the God of grace. Lord, hear our praise. Lead us to worship you.
It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.